challenges and rating on day 15 finally the finish line of the 2021 french open i'm ben rothenberg joined for the first time during this tournament by the queen of all things roland garros media for their website and all sorts of other great work you know her you love her she's our middle east and north africa correspondent here on ncr reem abu Lail. reem good to talk to you feels like it's been longer than it has i know it hasn't been that long but it feels like it's been a while because i feel like this french open took forever that's true this has felt like three months but also, we used to do this way more often, so that's why we also feel like it's been a while. Because yeah. at some point, we were talking a lot on this pod. You put, so in, some, you put in some good work on this pod, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I guess it's good that maybe people missed me. Who knows? I certainly missed you, at the very <laughs> least. You know who people don't have a chance to miss is the big three, because they're still winning everything. Always. Novak Djokovic, the one carrying the torch today at the French Open, winning his 19th Grand Slam, coming back from two sets down to Stefano Tsitsipas to win in five. He lost the first set 7-6 in the tiebreak, 8-6 in the tiebreak in the first set. Then he lost the second one 6-2, and things were slipping away from him quickly. And then he turned it around pretty cleanly, winning the next three sets 6-3, 6-2, 6-4 to take his, his title, his second French Open title, his... 19th Grand Slam overall, lists off some of the accomplishments. He's the first guy in the open era, first man in the open era, to have won all the Grand Slam singles titles at least twice. No one's done that in the open era. For the men, women have uh, both, uh, both a bunch of women have done it, actually. And then for the race, he's now one behind both Federer and Nadal, who are at 20. He's at 19. He's now won... If you want to, in my, my terminology, the Jokimon, he's done a double Jokimon. He's won all the Masters this twice and all, both slams, all the slams twice. So he, Courtney was saying really on, on her, because she did talk, we did a women's final episode, but she did chime in briefly on, on Djokovic near the end of it. And she's not on the show, obviously. And she was saying she really felt like this was sort of a time when Djokovic really sealed his case or, or, got a lot of swing in this sort of conversation about how he should be seen in history. And really the goat conversation really shifted very hard to him during these last 48 hours. I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I'm, I'm curious what you think of that though, just what this tournament means for Novak Djokovic. Cause it, it would be easy to think, Oh, what's the difference between 18 and 19, but this felt very significant, even in the, in the scope of everything he's done. I think it's very significant just because he's done something that only he and Robin Zorderling have ever done, right. Which is beat Rafa in Paris. And he's yeah. done it twice now. No one has ever beaten Rafa twice there. I mean, Rafa's lost three matches there. Yeah. No, Novak is two of them. He, quickly, he's the first person also to beat Rafa and go on to win the title. Exactly. No one's done that, yeah. So that's that was going to be my next point. I think it's huge that, especially that he was two sets down, in, his, in the back of his mind, he knows that in 2015 he beat Rafa and couldn't seal the deal, lost the stand in the final. And when he's down to sets to love, I'm sure this has crossed his mind, right? Mm-hmm. Like I did the hard, I did the hardest thing ever, and now I can't finish it off. I think it's significant because basically opportunities are difficult at the moment. At their age, so many things have to fall into place. You never know. He, uh, 
I mean, US Open last year, he accidentally hit someone with a ball and he's out of the tournament, right? Yeah. People take for Like, I, I was having a conversation with a friend this morning who called me and he's like, Novak's going to get to 26 slams. I'm like, how? Like, how are you even counting this? <laughs> honestly, people, people really say this stuff. Like, yeah. I'm like, he's 34. Last year, he won one of three. It's not that easy. Like I don't, I don't know how you don't realize that all it takes is someone to be like Musetti, but doing it over three sets. I mean, Musetti was up two sets against him as well and ran out of steam. So there are so I don't see it as as easy as some people see it. So I think it's huge because, like I said, opportunities do not come by easily. He got the opportunity. He almost didn't finish it. He was one set away from not finishing it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you take the French, like in his mind, he's probably thinking, I can take Wimbledon, I can take US Open, I'm going to take Australian Open. But Roland Garros is the one that's always not the one he can count on. Now that he has it, he's just one away, right? So it's uh, it's yeah. huge because also him and Rafa were playing very well. Like usually, like if you look at last year's final in Paris, like Rafa just killed him and Novak wasn't playing well, you right. know? But this was a very competitive clay matchup between them. So also, he, he like took it, you know? Like it's it's different. There are no asterisks around anything he's done these past two weeks. Um, no, no. I mean, honestly, yeah. the only things you can kind of asterisk with him are not his wins, but almost his losses, like the US Open, you know? Like that's almost one where you're like, well, if it hadn't been for this carelessness, from him uh then he very possibly could already have 20 he, he was a huge favorite to win that tournament the only big three guy to show up at that tournament the way that Zverev and team are playing in that tournament i have no doubt that, that Djokovic would have been fine in those last two rounds had that had the draw worked out the same way and yeah like it was it's it's really impressive the distance and also just like it's it's so i feel both ways right because like i completely agree with you on the uncertainty of the future you never know we have very recently relatively recently, 2016, seen Novak Djokovic hold all four Grand Slams in a row. We talk of calendar slam, buzzing again. And what does he do? He goes Wimbledon and loses to Sam Querrey. And all the wheels come off and his everything derails and he goes through like the, one of the worst stretches of his career right after, immediately after this fourth title in a row. So it's, very, it's a very fragile balance in a lot of ways to keep everything going. That said, Djokovic looks so sturdy at this point now to where he's down two sets the Musetti match was actually I was a little more like thinking that there could be an upset almost in the Musetti match because I hadn't seen him do it already before. But like the way that he is able to turn these matches on a dime is really impressive. And I was struck by what he said in a post-match encore interview that aired on Peacock in the U.S. with McEnroe and Carrillo, where he was saying he was sort of he didn't they didn't even ask him this question, but obviously he gives long answers. And he was talking about how in the third set, you know, he uh, once he got the first break, he was like, OK, I got this. I'm fine. Like, he is so confident of his ability to turn things around, and his self-belief is so big. And also, that goes to, you know, I think a little bit of his we are the next gen kind of comment. Like, he's not scared of the field. Once you beat Rafa on clay, like, that's the ultimate boss-level achievement to beat. Like, once you do once you do that, the belief is huge, yeah. That's what Marianne Vida said, basically. Like, his coach just said that a couple of hours ago, saying, like, once you beat Rafa, that was everything. And I... In general, Novak is very smart at sussing out his opponents and stuff. The mm-hmm. second he can sense uh, a slower serve from Steph or like any negative energy from, because Steph was so like 
was really positive those first two sets, right? Like he he was carrying himself in a way where I'm bossing this. Yeah. And that went away so fast, so yeah. fast. It flipped so fast. And Novak is perfect at noticing these things and capitalizing on them and just doubling down. And um, I mean, that match honestly went from being really good to really boring really fast. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what Nyla, my old editor, tweeted. And I totally uh, really? agree with that. Like... <laughs> Because the first set was really good. The first set was very compelling. You know, obviously, it's lower stakes in the best of five. The first set, there's still a long way to go. You know that. But it was really good. It was a tiebreak. I think Djokovic had a set point in there. Tsitsipas saves it. He takes it 8-6 in the tiebreak. He's playing really well. He's building confidence. I mean, Novak served for it. Yeah, Novak served for it. Right. Yeah. 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 And then at 6-5. And then... Yeah, and then he played it really bad. Then he started arguing about time violations, which he wasn't even getting called for. And then he, and then he broke himself at love or something, and and just that was a weird sort of brental, you know, brain fart on his part. But uh, but then the next four sets were actually not very close. Any of them, it was it was all. Since I was ran away with the second set, six two, which then at that point you're like, oh wow, he's one point for from from winning. That's a big deal, and that was or sorry, one set from winning. Like that's a, that's a big deal. Like you could actually be on the verge of something interesting here. And then Djokovic, like pretty quickly. Got up a break in the in the third, and then he got up a big lead in the fourth, and then he got up an early break for two one in the fifth, and like just kind of held on. And there wasn't real moments of peril or suspense. Obviously, Sitsipas in the fifth especially got kind of back on track after he got down the break and held serve a bunch of times and was able to get to force Djokovic to serve it out at five four. So that was you know that was the tensest moment in a while. But 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 he but it felt it had felt secure for him. Listen, Novak dropped three points on serve up in, in the in the fifth set up until midway through that set. Like he 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 was he like Tsitsipas was not making any headway on the Djokovic serve in the end and actually in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Novak at, Novak's first point dropped on serve in the first set, which was bizarre, was like at four three or something. Like mm-hmm. so he he was he was serving pretty well. I just don't. The only disappointment for me from this final is just Steph got the life sucked out of him, like, in the third and fourth. Like, there was Hmm. no energy coming out of him. If I'm him, obviously, I can't be him. I'm never going to be in some final, but I'm just trying to think, like, you have a rousy crowd. You're... You just need to get them involved and, and just find a way to get some energy. He was playing as if there was no crowd. That's how... You know what I mean? Like, this is what they looked like when they were trying to to battle it out in empty stadiums, except it wasn't empty. So that was the only disappointment for me from Steph. It's just like he never... And that's that's inexperienced, too. I mean, first, uh, in terms of not having been in in, in a slam final ever before, and also not having played very many matches in front of big, you know, passionate crowds recently, too. I mean, like... Because when he made his semis, like, he made three semis in a row, and, like, two of them... Were an empty stadium? No. More or less. I mean, Paris last year was fairly empty. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, but Australia wasn't because semis they were back, right? Okay. Yes, there was crap. Well, for for yeah. his semi, which he got killed in against Medvedev. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. So uh-huh. it's yeah, it's it's interesting for Steph because like, in some ways, like, it is about him, but it's also not about him because the role of person who loses to big three at Slam has been played by so many different people. 
And did he bring anything especially unique to his rendition of this? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, he he started really well. He, 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 he He's like, he has so many things going for him, right? Like, I, I'm absolutely still a believer in Tsitsipas and his potential. But the way that this match ended, the last, like, two hours of this match, the last three sets, made it feel like he was still, you know, close but so far. You know, like, there was still, there was still a sizable gap. And that's the thing about best of five, too. It gives Djokovic lots of time and space to figure things out, right? Like... He, he was able to to sort of weather the storm a little bit of that second set, at least, and, and to and to recalibrate and come back and to still... Be, and this is a special part, I have confidence. We've seen so many players go down two sets in a slam, whether it's two sets to none or two sets to one, and kind of fold, you know. But but Djokovic, to really be peaking in confidence, just getting one break in the, in the third, shows what a, what a scary competitor is and how deep his self-belief is right now, which, yeah, like we said earlier, like, it should be after beating Rafa on clay. Like, you, can, you feel like you should, you know pick up Chatria and bench press it at that point. I think also Novak has this insane motivation. Yeah. Just to to go to go for the Golden Slam and to go for the 20 the the record of 20 slams and all of that. He he's so into that and he's using it in the right way. He knows exactly how to use that as motivation and I'm 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 guessing in his mind he's like I want this way more than any other kid who's going to be against me. Like, yeah. it's just like, I, I want this way more. I am so close to, like, literally breaking every single record. And, like, with him, I mean, he said right after he wins the French Open, he's openly saying, yeah, I, of course I want to go for the Golden Slam. And Marianne Vida said the same thing. He wants to go for the Golden Slam. So, like... That's and, and, and Steph is still trying to get his first, you know? So you can't even yeah. compare. You can't, no. you, can't, you can't really compare the level of, of hunger. I'm not saying Steph is not hungry. He's very hungry. But Novak is just somewhere else when it comes to this stuff. It, it's really different. And it is honestly sort of whiplash-inducing how different the two draws are and the, how different the two finals are and what the sort of what a Grand Slam title means in the women's shot versus the men's shot. Not, not to say one is better than the other at the moment, but they're just such different propositions. I mean, one is like, for Djokovic, like trying to add to go from 18 to 19, which are both crazy numbers that would have been outright records not long ago when Pete Sampras held the record in, in 09. Now Pete Sampras is distant fourth place in the record book, which is which is still just really striking. And then on the other side, yeah, you have Grachikova, who's in this sort of field where it's about holding your nerve and anything is possible and, and who comes and is who's in the best for these two weeks in a lot of ways. With, with Sitsipas, he built up all he could. I mean, he's checked all the boxes, right? He won his first Masters title earlier this year in Monte Carlo. He's been building well on clay. He won, made the, you know, uh, Barcelona final this year, made Madrid final before. He won the World Tour finals, ATP finals in London. Like, he's, you know, top five player. He's doing all these things. And yet, it's still, like, it's you still have to be there in the moment and have the match work out in a way where you're able to beat the other person on the other side of the net. And when that has been Djokovic, especially, he's just been so good at overcoming adversity and, and being just the hardest of outs. And, you know, seeing, obviously, Federer knows this the way he saved match points against him multiple times at Grand Slams in big matches. He, he's just so, so tough to get rid of. And, and even this year with a lot of adversity in both slams, you know, obviously this time it was scoreboard adversity more 
that we know, like it was, you know, being down two sets to Musetti, being down five love in the first to, to Nadal, and match looks like it was slipping from him very quickly. And then obviously down two sets to Tsitsipas. And then in Australia, it was having the injury issue he had against Taylor Fritz in the third round and and being physically compromised a bit in the next few rounds. Only he knows how much that was a factor going, you know, all the way to the final or whatever. But he definitely was not 100% physically for parts of that tournament. And both times, he still was able to make it feel inevitable. And again, this is where the Nadal win, I think, really stands out as being seismic because it, it was a genuine upset for yeah. even for Djokovic to beat Nadal because Nadal just does not lose 105 and two if you lose to anybody it's an upset especially when he came in in pretty decent form having won Rome it was not like 2015 where he was having a bad year and just things weren't working for him and the Djokovic loss was almost expected this was one where Djokovic came and took it from Nadal and yeah and that's where that's where I think the narrative about him is really shifted because when you've won two matches against Nadal on at Roland Garros and Chatrier and three now against Nadal, sorry, against Federer on center court. Like, you're 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 getting all the Horcruxes. You're doing all the things. Like, what what left is there to do? Even honestly, if for whatever reason, I don't think it's left. Even for whatever reason, if none, if he doesn't win another Grand Slam and he stays at 19, and the other two stay at 20, you never know. Like, you can't take these things for granted. Even then, he'd have a great case for being the best because of just style points and how he did it and the, and the the immensely steep mountains he had to climb to get there. I personally, the whole, the whole goat thing, I don't believe in it in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those people who I just find it ridiculous. I don't believe in it at all because I just don't know how we can define great. And ultimately I think that there's a difference between also goat and best. And you just said best. In general, I've I've believed this for a very long time, and I'm not the only one, where when Novak is at his peak and the other two are at their peaks, Novak's the better player. Mm. Like, he just knows how to beat them. He's the better player. And I think that that is very obvious to me. Does that mean he's the GOAT? I don't even know what the GOAT is, honestly. I just... Fair. I struggle with that word. I think it's ridiculous. I think every single one of them has done something that the other hasn't. I think they've managed to share the pie in a very interesting way. Hmm. Yeah, Novak for sure has this crazy dominance, which Roger had early on, but like Novak has this crazy dominance that he's able to do when the other two are around, whether they're yeah. around or not. So uh, level-wise, I just think he's better in terms of knowing how to beat them and knowing how to get wins and stuff like that. But that doesn't, for me, that still doesn't make him GOAT and it doesn't make the others GOAT. I don't know. I, I struggle with that. I really I, do. Yeah, I think he's especially better at this moment because this is the first time, well, if you throw Murray in here too, that the number two player is not a big four player. You know, it's it's yeah. Medvedev and number yeah, but three. the rankings are also weird. So I well, they are. I don't even uh, they are. But I'm saying, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, Nadal's rank. Nadal's like Nadal doesn't feel like he should be ranked higher than he is. I don't think. I mean, like he doesn't feel. You know, he has he played one of the last French Open last year. Yes, but otherwise he's played a very light schedule. He hasn't played a lot. He hasn't done well on other surfaces really much obviously incomplete grades he hasn't played like, mu- no he, he just hasn't played much but when he's playing he's doing well so but he just hasn't played i mean novak it's very one of the interesting things for me is that in i think at one of the clay tournaments i asked novak are you worried because usually between the australian open and the french open you have opportunities at the 
masters tournaments to to play your biggest rivals, right? Hmm. So you're used to playing Miami and 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 used to playing Madrid, and he didn't play those two this year, right? And usually those give him an opportunity to either beat a team or a Rafa or this or that, you know. And when we were talking in the clay, he had lost early in Monte Carlo. Did he lose to Evans or who did we lose to? Dan Evans. Evans he lost right? to Dan Evans. Yeah, so the, how I far know, he's so that come? Happened. I know. So he lost to Evans in Monte Carlo. Didn't play Madrid. Lost to Karatsev in Belgrade. Yeah. Okay. Good match, actually. So I think maybe I was talking to him in Rome then, beginning of Rome. And um, and I was at, yeah, that's when I asked him, I was like, are you just concerned that you don't have enough match play at the highest level? Like, yes, you've played Belgrade, whatever, but that wasn't the highest level. You know, like that yeah. was... The, the final was Berrettini and Karatsev, and no disrespect to either ones, they're obviously playing amazing. It's just not Rafa no. and, and peak team and stuff. And he did not even consider for a second that that is an issue. Like, literally. <laughs> like, he's just like, oh, no, I know exactly how to peak at the right time. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know the number of matches I need. I'm going to play Belgrade before Roland Garros. And even though I'm not used to playing the week before a slam, I don't care. I'm going to be fine. And he was just so sure <laughs> that he's at a point in his life where, because even Rafa needs the match play, right? Team needs the match play. It's, Novak doesn't. It's like, That's it's the... almost like he's, yeah, it's like he's hacked it somehow, right? It's like almost like <laughs> he's not caught up in the sort of, the sort of things you're supposed to do or the things you're supposed to need. He's, or, or even the sets you're supposed to win in the first two out of five. Like, he's like, whatever. I, I, I there's three left. Like, I, I've read the rules. Like, I'm fine. Like, he's, yeah. he's unbothered by it in this way that is really, um, in many ways, refreshing. I, we started talking about this a little bit in the critique of a conversation with me and Courtney, like, showing what you don't need to do or don't, we don't need to be or whatever in order to win a slam is often just as, you know, can be really impressive and sort of norm breaking and showing you don't need to do certain X, Y, and Z. And he, and, and yeah, and he's so calculating about his goals and what he wants. And this comes up in the context of this historic number one thing, which he talks about, which is, again, this has been a, it's been a bigger deal in this context with Djokovic than it ever was with any other player, but he, he put his marks on it as a goal and scheduled to reach that goal. And then once it's been reached, he's taken his foot totally off the gas and pulls, doesn't play a lot of Masters tournaments now, you know, is, is very comfortable playing a, a partial schedule and sort of seeding that and being like, I, I finished that. That's what, And he knows that Federer's not getting back to number one anytime soon, um, who's the only person really within range of, of repassing him. So, yeah, so he's knowing that uh, he, he can just do the right thing and pick his spots and it's very efficient in this way he's a very very efficient very precise player who doesn't do a lot of things that are needless energy wise all the time but speaking of energy wise i did think i the one thing i was struck by in the first two sets he was losing is how flat he seemed in this match yeah yeah completely was, and he wasn't even yelling and no no there was angry. there was no there was and that's what it was yeah. like we were having a debate with you know us and other writers like is he mentally tired or is he physically tired I think it was more mental. I, I said that initially, and I think him coming back in five kind of sticks with that side. Like, yeah, he just seemed flat, and, and obviously we saw I that. I was he, just surprised yeah. that he was making no noise at all. Like, there was no sounds coming out of him. He yeah. wasn't really yelling, or, because usually he does that sometimes to fire himself up. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to wait for him to get mad. 
And he didn't get mad. He just flipped it around without even getting mad. Silent but deadly. Was, I mean, he was he was he was he was really good at you know at be, still being at still being in control. Like even with the scoreboard going against him again, he still has this faith in himself that I think is really really impressive. And look, if you go down love five to Rafa after the terrible final he played last year against yeah. him, and he go love five down and and he said it after I wasn't even worried because I was hitting the ball well. I'm like. He, he knows. I, it's just a, a very high level of self-awareness when it comes to tennis. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. So what do you think about what lies ahead for him? Do you think it's reasonable for him to have Golden Slam expectations? I think it's very reasonable. I think hmm. I think Wimbledon is is so close that he can almost think of it as, I'm just on this streak, I'm going to keep it going. Yeah. Like, in a way... I don't think he's that exhausted. He should be exhausted because he's had five setters and four setters and stuff. Like, he spent a lot of time in court. He has two weeks off. I think that's enough. It, I it, I don't think he's playing any grass tournaments. He never yeah. does. And he's very comfortable so, in Wimbledon. He's very comfortable yeah. there. It's just his... He's so comfortable there. He's won it five times. Five, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's won it five times. And he's also defending champion, which we forget because it was two years ago. Right? He did win five times. And now I'm, now I'm second guessing. Maybe it's four? No, no, not, five not, for sure. You're right, five. Yeah, 2011, 2014, 2015, 2018, 2019. Yeah, yeah, he won it five times. So, honestly, he's beyond top favorite. And, like I said, I, I think the fact that it's close, it might be even better for him. Yeah. There's just no time for him to lose his rhythm. And he'll just keep it going. And if, then the Olympics is going to be straight, like right around the corner. It's going to, I don't know. It, it's not, it's very plausible. I think the Olympics is the toughest one of it just because you're traveling to Tokyo and God knows what the conditions are going to be like there. And yeah. best of three, get, best of three gives less margin. Exactly. So that, that's, that's the, that's the one part of his goal that I feel is not, is not the easiest to pull off. But yeah, winning Wimbledon in U.S., of course it's possible. But I wouldn't be surprised if Rafa wins the U.S. again. That's the thing. Like, yeah, Rafa mm. keeps doing it. Er, like, he, he, he keeps winning that tournament when Cra- people think he's not going to win it. <laughs> Craziest stat of the last decade to me by far is that he's Rafa won, the, won the U.S. Open four times in the last decade and Federer won zero. Yeah. That's yeah, nuts. Yeah, yeah. Considering how the previous decade went, it was a complete reversal. So yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, we know about Rafa maybe a bit later on i guess but like or when we see him again but i i do think he has to leave a little bit discouraged from this tournament too because he got beaten somewhere he so rarely gets beaten and and just the way he felt you know physically seemed to not be able to keep up with with Djokovic in that fourth set you know remind me i don't even think it was physical i just think that i just think that there are certain again peak novak beats peak rafa yeah Novak has just not mastered up until now. He hadn't mastered the art of peaking in Paris when Rafa's still around. And like, it's just a ma- And then when he did it and he beat him, Rafa was terrible in 2015. That was a, a very bad year for him. So this this time, I don't know. If I'm Rafa, I'm not pissed. I mean, I mean he, did, he didn't seem pissed. I would definitely wouldn't call him pissed. I would just say sort of. No, but I mean, I'm not even pissed. I mean, I'm not even worried. He made semis, ran into the world number one when the world number one is like on a streak and is like in peak form, and it's Novak. I don't know. I I don't. I when I, from Rafa's side, I'm not that discouraged. 
Especially that he hasn't been playing a lot this year in comparison to how he usually plays. I wonder if Rafa will play Olympics. I think he said he's he wants to, but not finalized. Yeah, everyone's everyone's kind of leaving it a little bit up in the air. So no idea how that tournament's going to turn out whatsoever. I have two Egyptians there. I'm very happy. (laughs) (laughs) Not one, but two. (laughs) Well, we are very happy to have one Egyptian on this show. Reem, to sort of wrap it to a little bit sort of tournament review stuff. Obviously, we've done these daily pods. We don't need to go through too much detail on sort of results stuff. I'm curious from your view, you know, you read and, and edited tons of stories and wrote and really saw this tournament both close up and, you know, zoomed out in a pretty unique way in your role covering it. What what were your favorite moments of, of Roland Garros 2021? Well, or what will stick with you? Those could be different questions. But like what, just off the top of your head, maybe what are, what are the things that like resonated with you? Um, men's or women's for this tournament? What, what are you taking away from it? I enjoyed Krejcikova a lot mm-hmm. just because I've known about her forever just from Novotna from an interview we did in 2015 mm-hmm. and she spoke to me about her a lot so you know when from then I always like just kept an eye on her yeah. and then obviously she became doubles number one and won double slams and stuff but I was in Dubai also this year when she made the final so I kind of you know when someone is just I'm around for yeah. her in general, whenever she does something. Yeah, you can get invested in their narrative that way. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I, I was very invested in her narrative from, obviously, a long time ago, but also last year when she had her run to the second week and stuff in Paris. And I just love how she's she's just not maybe capturing everyone's attention because it's a funny one. It's almost like she's too niche. But at hmm. the same time, she won 13 matches in two weeks there. Yeah. Even, and I'm not even counting the mixed ones because I know she did win a round in mixed, I think. So, like, it's insane what she's doing. And she won a title coming in. So it's not, like, completely out of the blue, right? She's on a 12-match winning streak in singles as well. Like, she won a title. She goes to Paris, wins that, wins doubles, doing insane stuff. I'm so into it. I'm so into it. I- I'm so into it also the way how she's, like, Give me that microphone. I'm going to talk. Today, I laughed so hard when she said the, in the trophy ceremony in doubles, she said, I, uh, Katerina should speak first because I spoke a lot yesterday. And then she went on to speak for the next five to six minutes. <laughs> like, she, like, I legit thought she was going to pass over the mic, but she just went for it. And I, I love that. I love that she's sharing her story. Sometimes it's difficult because I remember when Ostapenko out of the blue won, oh, Ostapenko yeah. at the time could not speak at all. Like no. she got much better since, but she couldn't speak at all. So we were dying to get information from her and trying to, you know, like tell us your story. And she wasn't sharing. Whereas with Barbara, no, like she's really, really sharing. So I just enjoyed her. I enjoyed Coco Goff. Uh, lots of growth there. Also mm-hmm. was on a streak. I like, I, oh my God, the match against Uns for me was like, wow. Like super confident stepping yeah. on that court yeah. and stuff. Definitely enjoyed Musetti. And actually, I found it very amusing the way Djokovic was struggling against Berrettini. That match was so weird. And, and Berrettini just like, was, he was infuriating at times because he was just serving so well. <laughs> yeah. And Novak was so pissed off. And, and obviously the match stopped in the middle and stuff. So that was... In- I'm, I'm just fascinated by the Italians. You've been on that beat for a very long time of yeah. like the rise of the Italians. And I remember when I went to... 
I went to Milan a few times for the a couple of times for the next gen. Yeah. And I was just fascinated by how there were so many fans at that event for like next gen and yeah. the venue was like in a terrible place and people were showing up even to the hotel of the players to get autographs and I was like I get it now. Italy just loves tennis and they have they, they've got a lot going on like yeah. they, they have a lot going for them and I love that we get to see them now. Like they were what they were going to play the big 3. That yeah. was cool. I like yeah, that. Totally. And, yeah, totally. Yeah, you're right with big 3 versus it. Italy and and they're hosting yeah. the World Tour Finals this year for the first time, so hopefully we'll be in a pandemic place where they can get a decent atmosphere for that when that comes around. Because uh, that would be something worthwhile, yeah. And in, in Italy, for what you're saying, they have relatively not been on the radar in terms of being a spot because they haven't had players. They also haven't had very many events. I mean, except for the times, and it's been off and on. Except for the times that Palermo has been on the WTA calendar, Rome has been the only event in Italy. And compare that to like how many little tournaments there are in France constantly. You know, all these two fifties yeah. in France that like give it more of a of a national texture and more of a sense of what the French or tennis culture is from Rome. It's from just Rome. It's, it's more isolated. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, 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 I'm happy with this tournament too, because I do think this tournament started obviously with the Osaka stuff and being very preoccupying and distracting and overshadowing. I do think it ends with like to legitimately, you know, whether you're, whoever you are a fan of in the big three, legitimately like positive stories, right? Like it was a pretty smooth, second week of the tournament in terms of, of that, in terms of, you know, not things not being decided by injury, things not being decided by even like choking or anything. Like it was, it was a pretty, a pretty clean tournament in that way. And, and had some, uh, the, the, pen, uh, the curfew stuff went both ways. You know, there was the tough curfew and then the, the curfew overthrown stuff, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah. I, 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 yeah. And also I had a much better time in second week than first week is what I'm saying. I don't usually feel that way about slams. Yeah. Well, Barbara is such a feel good story. Like, yeah, I was having this conversation earlier with someone and, and they said, well, Novak or Steph, whichever one would have won, that's a sports story. Like, it's still sports. It's still records or first Greek ever or a young guy winning his first. It's a very sports kind of story. Whereas with Barbara, there's a huge human element to it as well. And it's very, like, it's just a feel-good story, right? Yeah. So I think that really helped. I also, one of the things that stood out to me this tournament, I've watched more doubles this tournament than I usually watch. Hmm. And A, because you had so many singles players deep in both singles and doubles on the women's side, because you had Rybakina and Pavlyuchenkova and Iga and Barbara. So like you were watching them in singles and doubles every day. And I was always curious to see, to, I don't know, I enjoyed that in a way. And I also, even with the men, like just Bublik making the final was hilarious. Bublik is a fun time. He was hilarious. Like every time I watched almost every match. And he's just hilarious because he's having so much fun and he's just doing really strange things and he's infuriating his opponents and it was great. So yeah, I enjoyed that too. Good stuff. Well, we enjoyed you here, Reem. Thank you very much for being on here once again. Hopefully get lots of rest. You've well earned after this this uh sojourn well, wimbledon quali starts in a week so i have no words <sighs> gosh yeah no <laughs> all right on that note uh thank you very much for being here and people should follow you along on twitter obviously and on your patreon 
patreon.com slash no challenges remaining if you want to thank Reem for all her good work and get access to some exclusive stuff there. You just said patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. Sorry, that's <laughs> good. I'm tired, okay? Patreon.com. I'm also I'm also embezzling from your fans. I'm like, if you want to support Reem, go to our a Patreon. No, patreon.com slash Reem Abuleil will be linked in the show notes and and our Patreon for folks who know. You already heard of it. Patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. I really am like at this very moment, like hitting the E on the gas tank. Like I'm just like, it's over for me and consciousness right now. But thank you to our Slam Champ backers. We thank every episode. Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Mary Curlo, Leah Williams, Liz Kendall, Jonathan Weinbaum, Jean Simeon, James Hindle, Audrey Welland, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel. And our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. Okay, did it. Yeah, suddenly I'm just like very, very tired. This time change slam has been been rough. We're uh, done, right? We're, well, we're done. Yeah, we haven't officially signed off the show, but yes, we're oh, done okay. with uh, no, we're done, it's we're because done with the <laughs> No, I mean... <laughs> I don't know. Should we like start talking about other stuff, or are we still like? No, we're, I'll say I'll say goodbye to the listeners now, and then we can go, you know, start sleep talking. Bye, folks. <laughs> <laughs>